This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even Amen. now as you listen. So many things about the Christian life are summed up in those three words, trust and obey. Well, we began a new series last week on the life of David called After God's Own Heart. And uh, I enjoy these biographical series because we're living real life. And we're talking about real life when we talk about David. Didn't always get it right, like we don't always get it right, but God was working in and through his life. And we learn principles when we look at the lives of those who have come before us. So we're looking at David for the next couple of months. And today we're gonna look at chapters 14 through 16. And we're talking today about the choices that confront us. So if, while you're finding that in your copy of God's Word, last week we looked at the rise and fall of King Saul. And we did that because you really can't talk about David unless you talk about Saul because, because the figure of Saul really looms over the whole first part of David's life. And so in any study of David, we've got to look at at Saul as well because he's there in the background and, and part of what we're seeing here is a contrast between these two men. And what we saw last week is that the reign of Saul begins to unravel when he disobeys God in chapter 13. And so we, before we look at chapter 14 this morning, I want us to go back to kind of this transitional moment that happens in chapter 13 and beginning with verse 10. And if you were here last week, you, you, you know here that the, uh, the situation is that a battle is raging between Israel and the Philistines, and Saul disobeys God, he panics, he, he offers these unauthorized sacrifices that he wasn't supposed to make, and this leads to the announcement that God has chosen another, one after his own heart. So let's go back here and let's look at chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 13, and let's pick it up here in verse 10. Just as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived, so Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, when I saw that the troops were deserting me and that you didn't come within the appointed days and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. 
It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Now, there are a couple of questions that arise from this text, and we didn't have time to get to them last week, so I want to deal with them quickly. The first question that you might ask when you read this is, you know, wow, isn't God being kind of harsh with Saul here? I mean, he, you know, he makes this, yes, he makes this one mistake, but, but, but you know, is that enough for, for God to take the whole kingship away from him? But what you need to understand is that this is a test case. It's not just about this one incident. It's a test case as to, to whether Saul is going to put God first or whether he's going to put Saul first. And what we're going to see in the ensuing chapters is that again and again and again after again, Saul is about Saul. And so this incident in chapter 13 reveals that. It's a test case that Saul fails. The other question that sometimes comes up from this is, why is David called a man after God's own heart? And this is not the only place that we see it. In one of his sermons in Acts, in Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching there, and in Acts 13 and verse 22, he says, after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out my will. Why is he called that? I mean, we know that David blew it badly <laughs> at certain points. Yet he's still called a man after God's own heart. Now, there are some scholars who would say that the phrase, a man after God's own heart, really isn't even talking about David's character. That's simply talking about God's choice of him. But I think it's more than that. It's certainly talking about God's choice of him. He was God's choice. But I also believe it's, it's revealing something about the character of David. Because even though we're going to see in this series, there were times when David failed badly. His repentance was real repentance. And there were things about him, and there were things about the choices that he made that, that did delight the heart of God. And we want to be people who make choices that delight the heart of, of God. I was struck last uh, Last Sunday when we, we had our homegoing service for Barbara Poteet, and uh, one of the things that was said was that when Barbara would write to her kids and she would, she would sign off, a lot of times she would put down the, the, uh, the, the acrostic, MRC, make right choices. <laughs> there are choices that confront us and we see them in chapters 14 through 16. And we're going to look at three of them today. The choices that confront us. The first one is fear or faith. 
Fear or faith? If you're taking notes, you can look at the back of the, of the, the worship guide that you received when you came in and follow along. Fear or faith? And we see that in chapter 14. So the situation in chapter 14 is that this battle with the Philistines is still raging and is not going well for Israel. And it's at this point that we're going to meet a character who is going to, again, be a major character in the story of David's life. And that is Saul's son, Jonathan. And what we're going to see here is that whereas his dad, Saul, was gripped with fear, Jonathan has faith because he understands that his life is in the grip of God. When we understand that our lives are in the grip of God, then we will not be gripped by fear. And Jonathan understands that. And he shows great faith here. So let's pick up the action. And there's a lot of action here in chapter 14 and verse 4. The battle is going on and, uh, and, and God has prompted Jonathan to step out in faith and do something. So it says in verse 4, there were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was Bozes and the other Sina. And these, the, na- the Hebrew names of these two, these two hills uh, literally mean slippery and thorny. <laughs> this is some rough terrain. But Jonathan understands there's nothing too rough for the Lord. Nothing too rough going on in your life today that God can't handle. And so Jonathan steps out in faith into this rough, slippery, thorny terrain to go against the Philistines. And, in, and we, it's, we see in verse 6 that Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over the garrison to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. You remember what, what freaked out Saul about this battle? It was numbers. They were outnumbered. And Saul freaks out and he offers these unauthorized sacrifices. It's all because of numbers, the fear of the overwhelming numbers. Jonathan understood that when God gets involved in the situation, let me tell you, numbers are irrelevant. He doesn't need many to do what he needs to do. Look at verse 7. His armor bearer responded, Do what is in your heart. Go ahead. I'm completely with you. In other words, his armor bearer sees Jonathan. He sees Jonathan's courage, Jonathan stepping out on faith, trusting God, and his armor bearer says, I'm all in. I'm all in. This tells us something about influence, leadership, 
Every single one of us is called to impact and influence other people as believers. Last night, many of us had to adjust our thermostats. <laughs> had to turn that heat on and adjust the thermostat. Well, think about the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermometer simply measures temperature, the temperature around it, but a thermostat sets the temperature. We're called to be people who set the temperature around us. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats, and when people see you stepping out in faith and trusting God and obeying God, they're going to be impacted by that. Just as Jonathan's armor bearer here is impacted, he says, I'm all in, I'm with you, let's go. Look at uh, verses 12 and uh, following here. Pick it up in verse 12. The, as, they may, as they begin to make their, their move toward the Philistines, the, the Philistine men begin to taunt Jonathan and his armor bearer. It says in verse 12, the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up and we'll teach you a lesson. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. In that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. You know, I don't remember this story from boys' Sunday school, but I'll tell you, I, I would have, if, if I'd have heard this one, I'd have been all in. Uh, this is like a bunch, you know, Navy SEALs here, you know, taking care of business. But, but listen, the hero here is not Jonathan. The hero in the story is God. All Jonathan is doing is saying, Lord, I'm, I'm a vessel. Here am I, send me, right? That's what we're called to do. Just be a vessel that God can use and step out in faith. God's the one who makes it happen. And look what happens here. Look at the result in the battle. Uh, verse 15, terror spread through the Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. Even the garrison and the trading parties were, the, the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook and terror spread from God. I mean, the Philistines are, are terrified and they are, they begin to flee. They're, they're routed because God found one guy who was willing to trust and obey. D.A. Carson is one of my favorite Bible scholars, and in his testimony, he tells about how, as a college student in Canada, he loved the Lord, uh, he, but he, he was studying chemistry at the time, and, and he, was, he was at a service, and the pastor preached the message, and in, and in the message, the pastor referred to Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, 30, where God says, I search for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so I might not destroy it, but I found no one. one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And it was at that point that D.A. Carson said, I, Lord, I'm willing. However you want to use my life, I surrender it to you. 
And that's where God wants to get each one of us. Will God find in you a willing heart that's open to be used by him to take new ground, to go where he wants you to go and do what he wants you to do? Surrender it all to him. We impact other people. In Hebrews 10, in verses 24 and and 25, the Bible says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Some translations say to stir up love and good works. Don't just think about yourself. Think about the way that your life impacts and influences other people. And as a believer, you want to stir up your brothers and sisters to love and to good works. You know, we can stir things up in the wrong way and cause dissension and disillusionment. Or we can stir up people in the right way and we can stir up love and good works. And then he gives us an application of that in verse 25. In order to stir up, you got to show up, Right? Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, when you are here, it's not, it, yes, you want to come to church and you want to be uh, fed the word of God and you want to worship, right? And we are, we are receiving what the Lord has from us, but we, we also are impacting other people. Just being here, your presence impacts others and so you've got to show up not only to church but show up where God wants you in life every day as a witness we want to stir up love and and good works there's one more thing I want us to see here before we leave Jonathan because it, 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 it impacts our study of David This is the guy that David chooses as a best friend. (laughs) This is going to become David's closest friend in the world, Jonathan. That says something about choosing friends, right? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. And listen, we're called as believers to be out there in the world, and and yes, to be sure, we want to have some friends that are not believers, because otherwise, how are people going to get saved? Right? You've got to know lost people in order to share the gospel with them. That's absolutely true, but listen, you make sure that you're pulling them up, and they're not dragging you down. We want, we've got to have friends in our lives that will sharpen us in our faith and that we can sharpen them. Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron. We want to do that. But we need an ultimate friend. Proverbs 18, 24 says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's Jesus. Have you found a friend in Jesus? The second choice that we see here in chapter 15 is self or obedience. Self 
or obedience. So the situation in chapter 15 is that Israel has won a great victory over the Amalekites, but once again, Saul has disobeyed God in the process. Now you say, well, I I thought Saul had already been rejected as king. Well, he had already been rejected as king. That doesn't mean he left. (laughs) He hangs around, right? And so, uh, because he's not gonna obey God in that either. So he's still there. Um, And Israel, by God's grace, wins this great victory over the Amalekites. But Saul disobeys in the process because God had told them that in this particular battle, uh, there's nothing to be saved. No one's to be spared. Well, what has Saul done? David has spared the king of the Amalekites, a man named Agag. Right? So he spares King Agag, and he didn't do that because he's a nice guy. In ancient times, kings liked to capture the enemy king so that they could strut around and parade the enemy king and say, hey, look, I'm greater than him. I'm the king of kings. That's what Saul wanted to do. That's why he spared Agag. And then Saul had also spared the plunder the livestock of the Amalekites. And uh, he, didn't spare, he didn't spare the animals because he was afraid uh, PETA was gonna, you know, tweet, and, tweet against him and cancel him or whatever. No, he spared the best of the livestock for money, right? He wanted to keep the plunder, the loot, right? It's all about, all about self. Now, once again, Samuel has to confront Saul about what he's done. And so look at, let's look at chapter 15 and look at uh, verse 12. Chapter 15 and verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument to himself. Now remember, this is the same guy who when he was first chosen as king, you know, you remember how humble Saul was? He was like, who am I that I should be chosen as king? I mean, I come, I'm a Benjaminite, it's the smallest tribe, and my family is from the smallest clan and the smallest tribe. I don't deserve this. Who, who am I? So now he gets power and it goes right to his head. Now now he's all about building monuments to himself. Look at verse uh, 13, verse 13. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, may the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. I mean, Saul tries to come across here so outwardly, uh, pious and uh, pretentious that you just want to slap him. But when we see stuff like this and we see examples of people who are fo- focused on themselves, what we need to do is take a look at ourselves. J.D. Greer says, uh, says this, too many of us show up to worship services 
thinking everything is just fine between us and God. We sing worship songs and tell everyone that we're right with God, yet the evidence of disobedience is all around us. Our spouse or child or roommate or coworker knows our hypocrisy. Do you realize how offensive that is to God and how silly? See, Saul wasn't fooling anybody. Certainly wasn't fooling God. He wasn't even fooling Samuel. Look at what Samuel says in verses 14 and and 15 here. Samuel replied, what is this sound of sheep, goats, and cattle I hear? Saul answered, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God. <laughs> what's, he, what's he doing here? He's playing the blame game. Saul's blaming his troops. He's ultimately, he's blaming God. It's kind of like Adam, you know, when God confronts Adam about his sin. What does Adam say? The, the woman you put here with me, right? Blames Eve, blames God. It's exactly what Saul is doing here. Now, at this point, Samuel's heard enough. Cuts him off, cuts him off in mid-sentence. Verse 16. Stop, exclaimed Samuel. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. <clears throat> Samuel continued. <clears throat> Although you once considered yourself unimportant, haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. <clears throat> Fight against them until you've annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Once again, blames the troops, blames God. He just does not get it. Samuel is now going to just cut through this like a knife through warm butter. Look at verse 22. Then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. In other words, what God is looking for is your heart. He's, he wants you, all of you. What thrills the heart of God is a heart that is fully surrendered to him. Now think about the contrast between, here between Saul and David. Because there's going to come a point when David blows it too. But what's the difference in their response? The difference is that Saul makes all kinds of excuses, blames everybody else, refuses to take responsibility, and David writes Psalm 51. And, and, and one of the things that he says in Psalm 51 his psalm of confession and repentance 
is this. In Psalm 51, in verses 16 and 17, David writes, Lord, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. That's what God is looking for. Look at verses 24 and and 25. Saul, Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words because I was afraid of the people. I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so I can worship the Lord. Now, at first glance, this looks like Saul has gotten it, like this is really repentant, but not the case. Still blaming other people, right? It's, 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 the, it's, it's the people. <laughs> uh, second, there's no fruit here. Listen, in Matthew 3, 8, the Bible says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, What we're going to see time and time again in Saul's life over the next few weeks is that there was no fruit, no fruit whatsoever. It's not real repentance. Third, when he says here in verse 25, when he says to Samuel, return with me so I can worship the Lord, that sounds really good. But no, what Saul is really saying here to Samuel, he wants Samuel to come back with him and, and sign off on sort of a national victory party. And who, who is going to be most acclaimed? Saul, right? It's, it's all about Saul. Saul loves him some Saul. <laughs> but listen, that is all of our sin nature. As sinners, we are curved in on ourselves. It's about self And who can liberate us from that? How can we get free from that? Jesus says, if if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. But how does that happen? How do we get freed from our narcissism and our selfishness? We need a new heart. We need a new heart. And that only comes from Jesus. You know, Hebrews 10 In verses 5 through 10, the writer of Hebrews alludes to to 1 Samuel 15, 22. And he talks about the fact that, that, that Christ offered perfect obedience as the perfect sacrifice. We look to Jesus. And we find new life in him. And when we and when we find new life in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who begins to change us, from, transform us from the inside out. And he gives us a new heart that wants to glorify God and not self. The third choice that we see here in chapter 16 is appearances or heart. Appearances or Heart. We come now to the day when David is anointed as king. And let's look at verse 1 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. 
because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. Now, Samuel here is down. He is crushed by the failures of Saul. Have you ever been there? I mean, have, have people, people that you put a lot of, you had, that were close to you, that you were invested in, that your life was linked to, maybe in your, maybe in your family or maybe a close friend, have you ever been just deeply, deeply hurt and let down and betrayed by someone who is close to you? That's a crushing kind of a thing. And Samuel here is just, he's down. He's just crushed because of the failures of uh, Saul. But what does God say to him? How long are you going to mourn over Saul? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. In other words, God is saying, turn the page. My purposes are not done. Do you really think that my purposes in this world are going to be defeated and thwarted because of the actions of this one man? No. No, I have already chosen a new king. He's going to come from Bethlehem. And see, this points to the fact that not only, you know, has God chosen this, this king after his own heart comes from Bethlehem, but it points beyond that to another king who was going to be born in Bethlehem. The true king of kings and lord of lords. God is saying, listen, my purposes, my redemptive purposes in this world cannot be stopped. And so look, sometimes we are tempted to despair. And, and, and sometimes people can let us down the way that Saul let Samuel down. Or, or, or we could just look around at the condition of the world. I mean, especially all the things that have happened in the past couple of years. You know, we can, we can look around us at at the condition of the world and we can just despair. Let me tell you something. Despair and cynicism are not part of the package of Christian virtues. Why? Because we have a God who cannot be stopped. That's why. God's purposes in the world and his purposes in your life cannot be stopped turn the page and look to the Lord. Look to him. Look to his unstoppable purposes. I mean, we just affirmed in the Apostles' Creed early in the service, we have got a Savior who is crucified, buried, risen, exalted to the right hand of God and who is coming again in glory. That's how this story ends. And so God's purposes cannot be stopped, right? He's moving forward. You move with him. 
Don't look back. Pick it up here in verse 2. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and he said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before me. Now Eliab was one of David's brothers. And just like Saul, Eliab looked the part of a king. But God says, it's not him. And God says in verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart God is not looking for, you know, the most beautiful or the most handsome. He doesn't have to have the, you know, the best resume or someone who went to the right schools or comes from the right family. God is looking for a certain kind of heart. Isaiah 66 and verse 2 tells us more about that heart. It says, but this is the one to whom I will look, God says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God is looking for people of humility. He's looking for people who are contrite, repentant in their spirit. They're not looking to blame other people. They're contrite in their spirit. They're looking at themselves. They're mourning their own sin. And they, they, are, they are trembling at the word of God. Saul's fundamental problem is that he puts himself above the word rather than under the word. God's looking for people who, who, who tremble at the word of God, who revere the word of God. Someone who's humble and contrite and trembles at my word Look at verse 8 and, and following. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shema, and Samuel said, The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, Are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, he answered. But right now... He's tending the sheep. <laughs> David is such an afterthought. He's not even there. There are two things here that two strikes in, in people's eyes against David. One was that he was youngest. The other, in the eyes of a lot of people, would be that he's a shepherd. You remember when we looked at uh, Joseph and we saw that the Egyptians, they didn't even want shepherds living around them. <laughs> I 
dirty, you know, smelly, caring for smelly animals all the time. And even among Jews, they were just, they were just kind of, shepherds kind of looked down upon. But see, God chooses the one who comes to understand that God himself has the heart of a shepherd. And David is going to write in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that? Can you, uh, there's a difference between saying the Lord, is, the Lord is a shepherd and the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Have you come to know him personally? Well, if you have come to know him personally, then what you want in Christ is the anointing of God's spirit. And that's what we see here at the latter part of verse 11 and following. Samuel says to Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Now, on the surface, this looks like these are good things in David's favor, right? Uh, um, beautiful eyes, healthy, handsome appearance. It, in the original, uh, that's, not what, that's not the case here, right? What, what is really meant here is that David looked like a kid, right? It's the youngest. He just looks like a fresh-faced kid. It's not, not meant to be something really impressive here. Then the Lord said, anoint him for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Jack Graham, uh, pastors Prestonwood Baptist Church in, in Dallas. And Jack tells a story about uh, how as a young man, he's just 20 years old, and his father, who ran a hardware store in Fort Worth, was brutally um, attacked and, and ended up dying from this uh, attack in his, in his store. And he hung on for 10 days in the hospital, and it was just the most wrenching, cataclysmic event that Jack had ever faced in his life, losing his dad. But he said that when that happened, he said, my world came apart. He said, but I found myself going into a little chapel at the hospital, a little hospital chapel. He said, I walked in, there was nobody else there. And he said, I just got down prostrate before the Lord. And it was just a moment where he had nothing else himself. It was a moment of just absolute surrender to the Lord. Brokenness before the Lord. And he said in that moment, the Spirit of God just rushed on me and enveloped me. And a special anointing from the Lord. And listen, that's what we all need. It, 
and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to come as a result of some crisis in your life. But each of us have to get to the point where we surrender our own self-sufficiency and come to the point where we understand, I cannot live for God in my own strength. I must have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray today, Lord, anoint me with fresh oil? Because see, there's not just an outward anointing that's happening here. Yes, David's gonna be anointed with oil, but there's this inward anointing says the Holy Spirit rushed powerfully upon him from that day forward. Would you say, Lord, do that in me. I need you. I surrender all to you. Let's pray. Father, we, 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 we make that our prayer. Lord, uh, for people here or people who are, are watching or listening, maybe even at some point in the future, who have not come to know you personally through your son, who could not honestly say the Lord is my shepherd, I know him, I'm in relationship with him. Lord, would you work in hearts right now to turn to Jesus and trust him. Friend, I would say to you, listen. If you're not absolutely certain that you are in Christ, I wanna invite you right now, turn to Jesus. The work has been done. He died for sinners like you and me. He rose from the dead. He is exalted and he is coming again. King of kings and Lord of lords, do you know him? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? He could come any day. Your life could end any day. Turn to Jesus and trust him right now. Jesus commands us to confess him publicly. He says, if you acknowledge me before people, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. We're called to confess him publicly. In just a moment, we're gonna sing, I surrender all. And if, you say, if you're giving your life to Christ, we wanna invite you to make that public. We'll be right here at the front, invite you to, and welcome you to come. And we wanna come alongside you and encourage you in the Lord. Some of you are here and you need a church family. We want to invite you to, to come. God wants that we're not meant to do this alone. We need a church family as we encourage one another and build one another up. We want to invite you to come. Some of you have made a decision to follow Christ, but you need to be baptized as a believer. You need to follow through in obedience. We want to invite you to come and say, I want to be, I want to be baptized. I want to show my obedience to Christ. I want to trust him and obey him. I know I need to be baptized. Or maybe as a believer today, there's something that needs to be surrendered in your life. Ultimately, your life itself. How many of you would say, I want to place my whole life before the Lord. Just lay it all on the altar for him. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I need a fresh anointing from you. Make that your prayer. And you may want to mark that moment physically. As we stand and sing, maybe God would lead you to come and just, just maybe pray at the altar.
And so, Lord, we give you this time. Would you work in hearts and lives now for your glory's sake as we surrender all to you, Jesus? I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 